Welcome to the Panine Halacha podcast. Zmanim, Chapter 4, Yom Atzmut, as well as Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaShoah. Section 4, The Three Oaths. A verse in Shira Shirim, Song of Songs, says, quote, I made you swear, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you not awaken nor arouse the love until it desires. The sages explain that God administered three oaths when Israel went into exile amongst the nations, two oaths to Israel and one to the Gentiles. He adjured Israel not to ascend as a wall and not to rebel against the nations. At the same time, God adjured the Gentiles not to overly subjugate the Jews. This can be found in the Talmud in Ksuvis. Afterward, the Gemara adds three other oaths that Hashem administered to the Jews. Quote, that they will not reveal the end of days, that they will not delay the end of days, nor will they reveal the secret to the Gentiles. Additionally, quote, Rabbi Lazar says, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to Israel, If you fulfill the oath, fine, but if not, I will allow your flesh to be devoured like that of the gazelles and the hinds of the field. One of the Rishonim, the medieval authorities, Rabbi Yitzchak de Leon, author of the halachic work Megillat Esther, understands the oaths to mean that, quote, we may not rebel against the nations and conquer the land by force, and that this is the intention of the Talmud when it says not to ascend as a wall. Based on this, the Megillat Esther concludes that there is no mitzvah to settle the land until Mashiach arrives. However, the greatest Rishonim and Achronim hold that the mitzvah of Yishu Aretz is fixed and eternal, as the Ramban, Nachmanides, the Shulchan Arach, and the Pischei Tshuva all determine. Thus, one should not learn from this Talmudic statement that the mitzvah of Yishu Haaretz no longer applies nowadays. That statement is agadic, that is, part of a Talmudic story, and not halachic, part of Talmudic law. Many interpretations have been given for the three oaths. Several of them imply that we must not precipitate the end of the exile and ascend to the land forcibly without first considering the matter realistically. For there is reason to fear that, because of the hardships of the exile and the protracted anticipation for redemption, people will ascend to the land impetuously, without any practical means by which to build the land and to stand up against the nations of the world. This will lead to destruction and crisis instead of to the beginning of redemption. Therefore, God made us swear that we will not attempt to return before carefully calculating our actions. Rather, we should ascend and build the land gradually, in coordination with the nations of the world, or by way of manifest miracles, which will come to pass if we deserve such a form of redemption. Indeed, the modern return to Zion has occurred gradually. The Jewish community in the land established itself step by step, while a Zionist organization simultaneously engaged in international diplomatic efforts until the nations recognized the Jewish people's right to return to their land and to build their national home. Accordingly, after the League of Nations agreed in San Remo in 1920 to return the land of Israel to the Jewish people, 
Rabbi Meir Simcha of Davinsk wrote that, quote, the fear of the oaths has now faded away. To summarize, the Talmud in Kesuvis describes how God made the Jewish people take an oath not to ascend as a wall, or in another version, not to ascend against the wall, and likewise to not rebel against the nations. The nations had to take an oath not to overly subjugate the Jews. If the Jews follow their oaths, fine, but otherwise, God will allow them to be devoured. At first glance, this sounds like a massive Talmudic warning against political Zionism. God made us swear not to ascend against the wall and reconquer the land of Israel. Indeed, that is basically how one Rishon, Rabbi Yitzchak de Leon, reads the text. And it's part of his larger position that the mitzvah to settle the land of Israel no longer applies today. We shall return to the land of Israel, but only in the age of the Mashiach. However, one will not find this Talmudic passage quoted in halachic codes, and instead, the mitzvah to settle the land of Israel has, as we discussed in section 1, very much been affirmed. How then to interpret this Talmudic passage about the three oaths? Perhaps it means that we should not return to Israel too quickly and without a pragmatic plan. Or, perhaps, it means that we should not return without formal permission from the nations. In either of these readings, the Zionist project does not violate the three oaths. It was, in fact, a gradual, pragmatic movement, and it gained international recognition from the League of Nations, the Balfour, the Balfour Declaration, and other diplomatic statements. As such, the State of Israel does not represent a violation of the three oaths. Three notes from me. One on how hotly debated this section is. One on alternative ways that religious Zionists can address the three oaths and one on the use of Talmudic narratives in these kinds of debates. First, the three oaths are a very hot topic. At first glance, they are quite a problem for religious Zionists, and much ink has been spilled and scholarship invested in analyzing the question. Likewise, religious anti-Zionists have written at length about the three oaths, using them to bolster the anti-Zionist cause. Google Sotmer three oaths, and you'll find quite a bit. Second, I'd like to mention another way that religious Zionists can respond to the claim of the three oaths. Sure, they can say, we did violate our oath, but only after the nations violated theirs. The Talmud tells us that they had to, quote, not overly subjugate the Jews. The Holocaust was a clear violation of their end of the deal. After it, we are again permitted to ascend as a wall back to the land of Israel. I'll add here that in the footnotes, the Penina Halacha cites many other ways to understand the three oaths that lead to no contradiction with the Zionist project. Third, in the footnotes, the Penina Halacha stresses that regardless of how you interp interpret this Talmudic story, it's still just a story. I want to be careful in how I explain this. Broadly speaking, the Talmud contains legal passages and agadic or narrative passages. The narratives are supremely important. They are statements of theology, philosophy, meaning, and they help frame what it means to be Jewish. 
But there is a great hesitancy already expressed in the Talmud about learning practical halacha and making practical decisions based on these statements. So yes, the three oaths are important, and they describe God making a major demand of the Jewish people. But they are not a legal text, and they should not be used to influence questions of practical Jewish law, like, can I participate in a project to build a Jewish state? Or, more pointedly in this section, how should we mark and commemorate Yom Ha'atzmaut? Looking back, we have now seen three sections dedicated to showing the religious significance of Yom Ha'atzmaut, and one section that protects Yom Ha'atzmaut against its most well-known Talmudic counterclaim. With that, the Penine Halacha is now ready to describe how, practically, we should commemorate Yom Ha'atzmaut. The Penine Halacha podcast provides English audio of Penine Halacha, an exceptional work of Halacha by Rav Eliezer Malamid Shlita. The English translation was overseen by Ellie Fisher and Corin Publishers. These texts are available for free online, and beautiful printed volumes are available for purchase. The summaries and reflections are from me, Ben Greenfield, rabbi of the Greenpoint Shul in New York City. I occasionally make subtle changes to the original translation, often for clarity, sometimes by mistake.